Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Ruthie Davis. She is the owner and founder of Ruthie Davis. How are you doing today, Ruthie? I'm doing great. Good morning, Brad. How are you? I am doing very well. Thank you so very much for taking the time to be here as a guest today and share a bit about your story and your journey. I appreciate you and I'm so happy and honored to have you here and be able to sit down and talk with you and have this conversation with you. So thank you. I appreciate you. Well, I'm appreciating what you're doing and helping empower women. And um, it's super exciting to be here. Thank you. So let's jump right in. As I mentioned, Ruthie, you are the owner and founder of Ruthie Davis, a woman's, you design women's footwear. You design the shoes, which have been referred to as each shoe being a piece of architectural art. And you've been referred to as a woman who designs to empower women. Now, I know through a previous conversation with you that you run the show on your own at Ruthie Davis. So how important is prioritization and organization to you? And how do you do it all on your own? Well, I think that, yes, organization is critical. I've been doing this a while. Uh As you know, my bio makes clear, I was corporate for years in the footwear industry before launching Ruthie Davis. So I've had a lot of experience. I've had a lot of trial and error. I've worked for different types of brands. And so I've kind of gotten that laser focus of what's important. So just, you know, I'm able to sort of cut through tasks and things and and get right to the jugular, you know, like, (laughs) what do you need to get done today? What do you need to get done this hour? What do you need to get done tomorrow? So yes, I'm very into, it's actually kind of what I love about running a company. It's just like the moving parts. It's like solving a puzzle. I love problem solving and just having a plan you know, the fashion business is very time sensitive. You've got deliveries, you know, seasons, fashion trends that you have to hit productions overseas that need to be shipped. So it's very time sensitive. So you have to be really on point and organized and you have to be confident in making decisions quickly and and running with them. You know, Mm. you can't be hemming and hawing. Oh, should I make it this color or that color? Right this width or this many inches wide or you know you gotta yeah. just kind of go with your gut and just cut through it quickly so that's how you do it on your own you just you're confident in your decisions you're super organized and i'm a big believer in sort of which we can talk about more but you know less is more for sure now you've been referred to as a trendsetter and a trailblazer what do you think about those titles how do those titles make you feel when you are referred to as or when those labels are put on you, what does that make you think? Or how does it make you feel? Oh, well, I feel great. I mean, that's that's a huge compliment. I think what's always excited me about my job from day one, you know, the, in my career, mm-hmm. has always been sort of looking at the next trend. I've always loved futurism. I've loved pop culture. I'm fascinated by the streets and what people are wearing and the early adopters who start trends and how trends start. I live it. I mean, I'm a big believer in you've got to like live, sleep, eat and drink what you do. So I live in the heart of the coconut in New York city. I'm on the streets. I'm trying the different looks, the fashions, looking at the architecture, looking at just the trends, the way people are, you know, acting socially. There's many things that go into why a person wants to look a certain way and dress a certain way. So if I can be someone says, oh, you're good at that, then to me, that's like the number one compliment. So you having been recognized by your peers in your industry for your design skills, talent, entrepreneurial skills, what do those accolades mean to you when you get those kudos from your peers? 
Well, that's really flattering. And of course, I feel honored if anyone ever says something like that. I don't feel like I get that many awards, but (laughs) thank you for that. But, you know, I think the thing that is most important to me, quite honestly, is just accolades from my customers, right? you know, the girls who actually wear my shoes and just, you know, feedback, whether it's, you know, they email us at the company customer service emails, just because we ask, you know, if they like the product or how they are, we get all kinds of responses and, you know, even things from like men who buy them for their wives as gifts. Like my wife says, she feels like a new person in your shoes, you know, things like that. That's what I get excited about. And just the feedback on social media where I'm communicating with my customers. If they say things like, you know, God, your shoes are beautiful, or I love wearing them, they're comfortable, whatever the case, that's like my top compliment. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's where it really all comes from is your customers. That's that's who's buying your products. So yes, the, the accolades and, and all of that is great from your peers, but it really comes down to your customers because they're the ones spending their hard-earned money on the products that you are creating. Correct. Yep. Now, I know you've mentioned very briefly that you've worked in the footwear industry for quite some time and you've worked with some pretty big brands. Can you share a bit about your journey in the footwear industry and some of the brands you worked with and your responsibilities at these companies before you started Ruthie Davis? Absolutely. Well, my first job in the footwear industry was at Reebok. Okay. And, you know, I basically was in sort of the product management area. I interviewed at Reebok. I had an MBA in entrepreneurship from Babson, and I had been a big athlete growing up, and I actually opened my own aerobic studio. So I kind of had that background, plus the MBA, and Reebok was like, yes, we want you. <laughs> so. I went in under sort of, they have these pods, which are kind of like product management pods that kind of manage each division, be it running tennis, what have you, so that the the pod manages the designers, the marketers, you know, the accounting people, like it's like kind of run like a little entrepreneurial business. And that's when I got to really get a feel of the whole business. And I realized through time at Reebok, and I kind of moved my way up the ladder there, that I really loved like my ideas were better than the designer's ideas <laughs> because I always came from a place of where marketing and design and product and pricing come together and customer and that's where the idea would come out of which is kind of why they used to call me a cool hunter like you okay. said the trendsetter because yeah. I was very good at like looking at all those aspects you know again the trends in the market what the customer wants what's the price you got to hit you know, what is the fashion and and putting that in a blender and coming out with something that was successful. And that's when I started steering my career more towards design, but it was always design and marketing. So I was at Reebok at my last job. There was director of Reebok classic, which was, you know, the chilling shoes, we called them. They weren't the performance Reeboks. They were the white classics, which I was there in the nineties when the hookups was born. You know, it was me and my team that basically did all the classic derivatives. We took the Reebok classics and we made them in the fun colors. We did the chunky bottoms. We did the ice out soles. We did, you know, the retro reimagined. And that was like a huge, it grew the business a lot. It was a huge thing in the nineties. And that's when UGG Australia called me a headhunter and said, you know, can you do with the classic UGG what you did with the classic Reebok? And first I was like, no, I'm happy here. But then I looked at, they were in Santa Barbara, California. (laughs) Maybe I will come out and interview. So I went out and interviewed and, you know, they made a great offer and I went out and I was the first marketer designer to be hired at UGG. Wow. So I went in is VP of marketing and design of UGG. And they'd never had, so they brought someone from the East Coast to the West Coast because they weren't able to sell UGGs to the East Coast as like a winter product. It was yeah. being sold primarily in California as like a surfer dude, apres surf product. Right. Which doesn't really make sense. It's sheepskin boots, you know? Yeah. Um, so they hired me to come and basically make it more East coast worthy and to make it more fashionable. Okay. And, you know, I, I call it putting the sizzle on the steak. (laughs) I love that. It's already a great product. Like the Reebok classic, the Ugg classic, you've got an incredible product. You just need to put the sizzle on the steak. So I did the lug out soles. I did the waterproof uppers. I did, you know, the Sorel boot, the Ugg that looks like a Sorel, like a lug. 
that was one of my designs. Like it was like, well, in the East Coast, this is what we wear in the winter. You know, we yeah. need a low sole. We can't have that flat sole. I also positioned the shoes as luxury by exposing the sheepskin on the outside of the shoe. I did oh. the fluff mama, the big fluffy sheepskin boot. And yep. the seams of the shoe of the sheepskin boot, I exposed the seam in the sheepskin. And so, you know, or the top line, you know, it has a little sheepskin on the top of the boot, yep. just stuff like that to make it more kind of a winter boot, more luxury. And then I did press. They never had a PR campaign. I put the Uggs on the celebrities, did product seating on TV shows. We did like Vogue Takes Aspen, did an ad in Vogue and did it at Grace Ski Positioning. And it took three years of, of serious work. And then they just took off. I don't know if you remember in like, like early 2000, Uggs were everywhere. It was like the yes. new hop. So that was a planned event. It was a lot of work, but it, it worked. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> that's incredible. And that's when I started thinking, I need to do this for myself. You know, I have my MBA in entrepreneurship. I want to do my own brand. And I already had been thinking of my ideas for my own brand. And I actually started to put together a collection. I had huh. some contacts in Italy and I started working on it. And I was actually going to make the leap to doing my own brand at that huh. point when Tommy Hilfiger came calling and made me an offer I couldn't refuse. <laughs> he said, you know, they moved me to New York City. They made yep. me in charge of their footwear and marketing. Same type of thing. Again, it was always marketing and footwear together. It, yeah. I mean, design and marketing. It wasn't just one or the other. I always did the combination. And I thought to myself, you know what? This is going to be an incredible experience because I've worked for Reebok. I've worked for UGG, but I haven't really worked for a fashion brand. And it's going to be sort of New York City fashion brand. And I thought, okay, I'll do this one last thing yeah. before I do Davis. Because I knew I wanted my brand to be a fashion brand. So I thought this would be great experience and learning, et cetera. So I took the job, moved to New York City, and it was extremely hard, extremely taxing because it was a licensing situation. So it was, I, it was like I worked for two companies, Stride Ride and Tommy Hilfiger. And it was really hard work, lots of travel to the Far East, to Brazil, to Italy, and between trips, unpacking, packing, yeah. crazy. My husband, after a couple of years, stopped me and was like, can I ask you a quick question? I said, yeah, I'm busy. Hurry up. <laughs> I just spit it out. Yeah, spit it out. I just want to check in on you. Is your dream to be like president of Tommy Hilfiger or Tommy Hilfiger? Mm -hmm. And that's when I kind of stopped in my tracks and was like, uh, Tommy Hilfiger. And he kind of looked at his watch and was like, well, you better get busy, girl, because you ain't getting any younger. Because it's like he knew I was in deep and that I would just like you know, time would go by and all of a sudden, like too much time went by. So that's when I made a plan to launch Ruthie Davis. And I basically went to my boss and again, it didn't happen immediately, of but course. like soon after. And I just was like, I need to do this, you know, and how do we make this work? And so I was able to negotiate to stay on as a consultant until they found my replacement, mm -hmm. which ended up being really great because I kept my contract with them. Mm -hmm. And then I was able to launch Ruthie Davis and do both at the same time. That's um, awesome. Have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. So it worked out really well. And, and then eventually I made the leap and, uh, you know, the rest is history. So as they say, so that yeah. right there, that moment, that question from your husband that you were so busy, <laughs> come on, spit it out, spit it out. That was like the catalyst moment for you right there. It really was. That was a turning point moment where I just had, you know, do I want to be president of someone's company or do I want to be the Tommy Hilfiger himself. Like that, that's pretty incredible to me that that one little question just yeah. completely shifted and made you realize that wait a minute, he's right. Fuck this. Yeah. I want to be Tommy Hilfiger. Right. That's and phenomenal. I, for me, being Tommy Hilfiger was being Ruthie Davis. Yes. So yeah, I needed, exactly. I needed to get going with that one, with that project. <laughs> So then with all these big brands you worked with, Ruthie, and all the work that you did, how hard or easy then was that transition for you from an employee to an entrepreneur? It was definitely, you know, it was difficult in some ways, obviously, because you, you get kind of spoiled when you've been an executive in these companies because you tend to have assistants, you have, you know, your cell phones paid for, everything gets shipped mm -hmm. for you to 
you shift, I don't know, you kind of get a little spoiled, although you work very, very hard, don't get me wrong, but you have a, a structure that supports you. You know, you have like, a, you know, you, you can call up, they have travel agencies, you know, you call yeah. up corporate travel agency, they book your trips, just all those little things. And when you all of a sudden on your own, you have to do everything. Yeah. You have to wear all the hats, right? To wear all the hats and, you know, do the stuff that's, you know, kind of the meat, what you consider almost menial jobs. You have to do do it all. And I actually kind of loved that because I feel like I I was alive, you know, Mm -hmm. a little bit, I don't want to say crippled, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Corporate structure. And it's like you're operating on all cylinders when mm-hmm. you go out on your own and you're doing your own thing. So it's an adjustment, but I thought it was very exciting. And I, I like learning new things. I like being challenged and I like understanding all aspects of a business. I don't like, I could never be that person that just kind of blindly does something that doesn't really understand the big picture. I need mm-hmm. to sort of understand the big picture. So it was, it was actually quite exciting to, to kind of just be, okay, now it's just me. Let's just, let's do this. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was going to ask you, that was my next question. I was going to ask you is how freeing was that for you? Albeit you're, you're leaving the security of a, well, what we can, I mean, can we even really use the word secure job nowadays? Not really, but you're leaving that we'll call it security for lack of a better word to jump out on your own where everything is unknown. And as you said, you've got to do everything yourself. You're wearing all the hats. There's nobody to rely on. You can't blame anyone for anything that goes wrong. It's all you, right? You are the business. You are everything about it. So was it, I mean, I know for me, when I made the jump, it was scary as shit. And I'm sure it was for you as it is for all entrepreneurs, I would think. But at the same time, I found it like a fucking weight had been lifted off my shoulders. I got out of that corporate bullshit and I'm out on my own. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. The weight's lifted and, you know, you're excited. You're doing something new. You obviously have to have passion yeah. and energy to even make the leap. Yeah. So if you if you got enough passion and energy to do that, it's going to fuel you mm-hmm. to, to get going on all this. And I think there is a little bit of ignorance is bliss. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. What you don't know, you're just like, oh, this is great. I'm just going to go do this and this. And, and, you know, if you only knew what was ahead of you and some of the struggles, yeah. you might not have signed up for it. So I yeah. do think that, that it's almost good that you don't know everything and that you go in and you just jump in the pool and start swimming. I but would yeah. agree. There's a lot of like a lot of unknowns, but there's also, I don't know, I have found I've only been an entrepreneur for four years now. And I have found there are tons of roadblocks in in the way when getting started. And I think the biggest one is ourselves getting out of our own fucking way, getting out of our own heads. But I think that another one that I have found is that we as entrepreneurs, the discussions aren't happening about the, for lack of a better term, the downside of entrepreneurship, because it's not all fucking puppy dogs and ice cream and rainbows. It's it's a daily struggle, especially as a solopreneur, you don't have anyone to lean on unless you've got that support system. But the downside I find does not get talked about. It's always the positive and always the successes. I think we need to start having more conversations around the other side of it and let people know that, you know what, this uh, entrepreneurship is not for everybody. 100%. Not everybody has the stomach for it. Not everyone can do it. But I think we need to have more conversations around that and let people know that, you know what, there are downsides, there are negatives to being an entrepreneur. It's not all positive. Yeah. I mean, I actually am not guilty of that because I'm very real when Mm -hmm. I speak to people. I tend to really be, I'm very like, I tell it like it is. I don't code it. Am I a positive, upbeat, optimistic person? Yes. Do I see the silver linings? Yes. But I also see the reality check, you know, and I can see, I mean, I give a lot of young people advice on entrepreneurship and fashion entrepreneurship, and I'm very real with them. Right. You know, I'm very straight with them. I mean, and you know, a lot of times it's not only about, oh, it's going to be hard and this and that. It's also about teaching them to be realistic about what they can and can't do with, mm-hmm. with their financial situation. I talked to someone recently and I asked her how she was doing financially. And she's like, I'm doing okay. And I was like, well, how many, cause she actually sold shoes. Okay. And I, how many shoes are you selling a month? Or, 
And she's like, oh, well, I've set up my company. As long as I sell two or three pairs, I cover my costs. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay. What, what kind of business are you running? And I was like, you pay yourself? And she's like, oh, no, I've set it up. I don't have to pay myself. And I was like, okay, do you have any, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, no, I've set it up. I don't need that. And I, I'm just sort of like... It was almost like a faux business, yeah. you know? So it's also being realistic with people. Like it's not going to last if it's not working, you know? Right. You have to yeah. I think the problem today is because of social media and everything mm-hmm. else. People think if you just say, if you start a brand, you have a brand. Oh, I yeah. started a brand. I have a brand. No, you don't. You don't have a brand <laughs> yet. You have to earn that brand. You have to sell products, okay? That you takes years to, to build. Yeah, you got to sell X amount of products a month. You've got to have a reputation that people mm-hmm. know your brand. You've yeah. got to have a successful business model where money's coming in, money's going out. You've got to pay yourself. You've got to, you know, all of these things before you could say, I have a brand. Just yeah. because you, quote, launched a brand, you don't have a brand yet. <laughs> no. You're it's building like, a brand is the more accurate phrase to use. Yeah. So it's, I don't know, it's an interesting subject. Definitely. I, I love that you are real like that, though, that you do talk about that, because we need more of that, I think, in the entrepreneurial world, more people need to start having those conversations and talking to younger people coming up that are starting businesses and building brands and make them aware that there are downsides to this journey as well. It's, I mean, it's great. Uh, entrepreneurship is amazing. But there are struggles too. And I think we need to be more aware and share that information more, I think. I also think that, you know, you can have an entrepreneur you want to like, I guess you would say yourself or myself as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. You can also have entrepreneurial ventures where in other words, you can be part of an entrepreneurial venture. You don't need to be the lead entrepreneur. Not everybody's cut out to have that constant headache that you know you have to live your business 24 7 for sure but you can work for a smaller company that's entrepreneurial and be part of that team you don't need to be the lead entrepreneur yeah very true you you can still be an entrepreneur is my point yeah absolutely I mean, entrepreneurship isn't reserved for just the lead entrepreneur. No. I mean, to me, that's very elitist in a way. Like entrepreneurship <laughs> yeah. should be any type of business, any person anywhere in the company that thinks entrepreneurial and it mm-hmm. operates where they see the total picture and that they're able to do to multitask and do many different aspects of the business. For sure. I would agree with that. So when did you actually launch Ruthie Davis? 2006. 2006. So 15 years. This is your 16th year. That's amazing. Congratulations. And so as an artist, I know that you being an artist in your creation, your creative process, each artist has their own creative process. So can you share a little bit about what your process is when you sit down to crank out ideas or concepts for shoes? Sure. It's evolved over the years. Mm -hmm. So when I first launched my brand, it was much more of like, I would literally have to take inspiration trips you know, go places that inspired me, look at architecture, look at people, trends, you know, create stuff. It, it was very much that, but mm-hmm. if time goes on and you've built a brand and you have your models, you have your styles that work, it's a different kind of a design process where you're evolving products. You're not reinventing the wheel every season. You're building off of your successes. You know, you're tweaking the products a little bit to make them new. You know, right. the new improved tide, you know, it doesn't yeah. need to be completely new tide. So it's, it's a different kind of a process. It's much more organic. It's much more fluid. I basically don't have periods where I just sit down and go, I'm going to sketch a shoe. I pretty much am designing and producing and selling shoes constantly in my brain. It's just, it's a never ending thing. I'm always thinking about how to build a better mousetrap. Yeah, you know, how to make the shoe more successful. But again, it's fine tuning successful products. Okay. And it just there's many formulas that I work with. It's just Mm -hmm. many years of experience of what works, what doesn't. So for example, right now I have a shoe that's my number one shoe that's selling out. It's called the candy. Mm -hmm. It's a shoe that I launched last season. Okay. And it's actually a shoe that was evolved from another shoe. But I made the front strap a little different. And I did this and that little different. And I made it in this multicolored, hence the name Candy. It was this yeah. very beautiful multicolored platform. And people really loved it because it actually had a really beautiful design, but obviously they were drawn to the color. So I knew it was a great shoe. 
Okay. Just the pattern was a great pattern. And I knew in the back of my mind when candy was selling out and doing well, that the candy in all black would be, would blow the water. Okay. Right. Because at the end of the day, a black shoe is always going to be the top. Right. So, you know, the next season after candy was a big success, the multi candy, I came out with the all black candy and it's blowing uh, out. So all I had to do was make it all black. Okay. That was <laughs> that shoe. So, you know, it, and that's my number one shoe right now. And next season, it might be candy and silver because I've already had emails. I've literally gotten a couple emails from girls that have said, can you make a custom candy and silver as a wedding shoe? Oh, okay. so, so I'm like, well, maybe I need to just do candy and silver. <laughs> so that's so I get, how I did choose. Right. So I guess once you get to a certain point in your business or your career, as you said, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just modify what you've already got because it's it's already got a proven track record. Yeah, you modify, you evolve, mm-hmm. you make the the plot, you know, you make the one. Of course, you're gonna have to have that fun new, you know, think of it like Patagonia, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you wear Patagonia, but like, it's just a great classic, you know, brand there, you know, you're going to always get, you know, this style jacket in the new color. Let's see, right. it's going to have new colors. It's the same yeah. jacket, the new colors. Yeah. And then you're going to get one that maybe is a little more of the cropped version. Cause like cropped jackets are in, mm-hmm. or you're going to get the more, you know, warmer version because it's a winter, you know, yeah. which is when I'll do the boots. You have to keep it new and fresh, but yes, you're building off of what you've already built. I mean, you don't go to a BMW car dealership. You want to see the classic BMWs. You want to see what you're used to seeing. Yes, you want to see the new lines of the new 4x4, but it looks similar to last year's 4x4, right? It's just Mm -hmm. evolved a bit. So that's what's exciting to me now is I've built a brand and I have my sort of basic bodies and now it's just you know, evolving them, maintaining them, et cetera. So it's, it's kind of exciting. So how many shoes do you have in your lineup then? How many different types of shoes do you have in your? I keep it very lean and mean. Okay. Um, I, I don't, I'm not overstocked. I tend to have, I want to say like at any time, each season is probably 15 to 20 styles. Okay. And I have new s- shoes coming in every, let's say like two to three months. Okay. All right. So it's not crazy. I like to kind of curate what people see. And I don't like to give mm-hmm. too many options because I feel like it's my job to kind of make the decision for them and to narrow down things and, and yeah. curate it. And I think people have grown to trust that I put a lot of time and energy into making sure, for example, you know, this season, we just came out with some bright new colors, a bright Poinciata mm-hmm. red, a Dahlia purple and an apple green. And people know that like, these aren't just three random colors, that it's it's definitely what's happening in fashion. So like, it's going to match the bags they're buying or right. the dresses they're buying, you know, that I've made sure it's the right red. It's the red that everybody's doing. This Designing season. with purpose. Yeah. And it's going to fit into the fashion landscape. It's right. not going to be an anomaly, like a random red that I picked. Yeah. So yeah. I, I do that work for them that they can trust when they buy it that it's going to work with their outfits that they buy that season. So I I keep a very tight assortment. I think if we offer people too many choices, it just confuses the shit out of them anyways. And then they don't end up doing anything. Correct. Exactly. That's the way I am. Yeah. I love love things to be curated. Absolutely. Now, when I think of women, the women's shoe design industry, I think it's, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's a pretty much male dominated industry. Louboutin, Ferragamo, Jimmy Choo. Would that be, that's fair to say that it's a pretty much male dominated industry? I do, except Jimmy Choo is actually designed now by a woman. Oh, okay. The original Jimmy Choo, I think he's, I don't even know if he's still alive, but in any event, Yes, but no, in general, historically, the high fashion, like luxury women's mm-hmm. avant-garde footwear was designed primarily by European men. Right. You know, Manolo Blahnik, Christian Louboutin, like you said, Giuseppe Zanotti, you know. So yes, that was the case historically. And I do think, so even to this day, you don't get that, those as many of those designers coming out of America, okay. men or women. Obviously, there's some, there are, yeah. you know. You've got Brian Atwood. You've got, I don't even know the names. uh, You've got, I can't even think of the names. (laughs) But yes, it's very strange to me. When I launched my brand, I actually Mm -hmm. called it Davis. 
my thinking was I wanted to be like Gucci Chanel Prada Davis. Right. Yeah. So it, it was Davis. And in the beginning, like I had some early adopters, some celebrities mm-hmm. that had a PR agency and they, you know, Beyonce, Gaga, and they all thought, everybody thought that it was a man designing the shoes. <laughs> the name was Davis. Right. And they, the PR people would be like, no, it's a woman. Her name is Ruthie Davis. They'd go, oh my God, I've never seen a shoe that's like sexy, hot, racy, yeah. designed by a woman. It's always men, most yeah. of their men. So they, they said, you know, you really, this is a great story. You need to tell the story. So that's when I evolved and I started calling the shoes Ruthie Davis because people wanted to know that they were designed by a woman. So yeah, it is very unusual for some reason, which I think is interesting. I, mm. I, I don't understand why, but, you know, when women design shoes for women, they usually tend to be a little more sensible looking shoes. Right, right. Less sort of sexy. Again, there aren't a lot of women shoe designers, independent shoe designers, where right. it's like the same, like Ruthie Davis shoes, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's a rarity. So I like it. I like being, doing something unique. <laughs> so how do you, pers- how does that personally make you feel to be recognized in the shoe design industry as a woman in a male dominated industry? How does that make you feel? I mean, it, it feels great. I mean, it, it seems odd to me. I'm making women's products. You know, it shouldn't be odd or unique, but to me, it just comes naturally what I do. I want to make a woman, you know, I always say I don't design shoes to make a woman look sexy for a man or for someone else. I make shoes that make the woman feel strong and powerful and sexy about herself. It's really about herself. And I really am about, you know, as a woman, I like to feel strong and powerful. I like to feel tall. You know, when yeah. people don't, you know, I always say to people, you know, the majority, if you had to generalize, okay, if you had to generalize, mm-hmm. women are shorter than men. Okay. Yeah. Obviously I'm gross generalization. Yes. So if that's the case, you know, if you make higher shoes, women can see eye to eye with men mm-hmm. and I like being eye to eye. I don't like feeling shorter. So yeah. that's why I do a lot of platforms because platforms are more comfortable and they're more sturdy. You can have a high shoe, but you're comfortable. It's not the pitch. Yeah. of a non-platform shoe. So to me, it's about the woman feeling good about herself and feeling powerful and strong. And, well, and as, as you say, you, you design shoes to empower women. Yes. Yeah. And by the way, to empower anyone who wants to wear them. Right. Because I yes. do have many people wear my shoes. Right. You know, and I always say anybody who likes my shoes is a friend of mine. So <laughs> I love them all. So <laughs> anyone who wants to wear my shoes is great. Now, I know you just briefly mentioned celebrities so i know a lot of celebrities and a-listers wear your designs what does that mean to you to have these people who are in the public eye like that wearing your designs and how does it make you feel i mean it just it legitimizes that they get what i'm doing you know they obviously celebrities can choose whatever they want they have you know carte blanche to wear whatever products they want and they want to feel amazing you know they're doing they're either performing on stage red carpets, TV interviews, whatever they're doing. So they need to feel on point. And if they choose my shoes, that's a statement saying, you know what, these shoes made me feel like a million bucks. I'm going to wear these. So of course I love that. And, you know, but as I said earlier, I love that. But, you know, I also love it when I, I mean, because of social media, I have a lot of just consumers that buy my shoes that post pictures of themselves Mm -hmm. or that do their own photo shoots. And I love seeing those pictures also. Yeah, You know, I always repost them on Insta story. You know, anybody who tags me, posts me, I repost them. I'm very democratic like that. You know what I mean? Like everybody, they're all important to me. I love, see, that's, I, I honestly think and believe and feel that that is the sign of a true entrepreneur. You value every client, every customer, not just the celebrities who are spending the money, but the everyday people. And for lack of a better term, everyday people, you value that you pay attention to who's tagging you and you repost their content. That to me is incredible that no matter how big or important you get, that has no bearing. And that's the sign of a true entrepreneur and a true human being, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I really do see them the same and especially paying customers. I mean, you know, these are people that work hard and they uh-huh. save their pennies and they see the value in buying a quality shoe that they can, you know, it's an investment. It's something they can keep forever if they take care of it and they see it as a really special thing. 
And, you know, I value those people tremendously. Well, I'd just like to say hats off to you for that because not a lot of brands do that. So hats off to you and kudos to you for doing that and just being authentically you, who you are. Yeah, I'm, I'm me. <laughs> <laughs> so Ruthie, what excites or lights you up the most about the work that you do? You know, it's real simple, kind of what we were just saying. Mm, I mean, yeah. in, if you'd asked me however many years ago, it might've been different today. I'm going to tell you what gets me the most excited. And when you, when you know, I'm in a good mood is when I sell a shoe. <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs> it's real simple. I get a little alert on my phone. Every mm-hmm. time someone purchases a shoe on ruthydavis.com, mm-hmm. it shows up. I see what was sold to who, and I smile. So that I think that's pretty much my favorite thing right now is just when someone buys one of my shoes. So yeah, it's pretty simple. That's what lights me up. Is online the only place people can purchase your shoes? It is now. Okay. You know, I have evolved. I've been, you know, for years I was in many retailers. I mm-hmm. had the years I was in Neiman Sachs you know, Jeffrey, New York, you know, I've been all, th- I had, there was a years I had a showroom in Milan and I was in, in many boutiques all overseas, all over the world. And now, you know, just with different reasons that you pull back and now I'm just direct to consumer with davis.com. It's also just fits my lifestyle. Now it's more focused kind of what we're talking about. I just want to run a lean, mean fashion machine. Yeah. I- to do what I want, when I want. I'm at a stage in my life that I want that control. And when you're selling wholesale to buyers and you know, you've got to take into account what they want, what sells for them. Everybody tries to redesign your shoes. It's, you know, and it was great for years, but now I really, really like what I'm doing. Would I like to have like a Ruthie Davis boutique? I was actually thinking of opening one in New York. Okay. Right right when the pandemic started. So obviously I decided not to do that. And as time has gone on, I'm thinking, you know what? I don't think I want to do that now. I just think that, you know, if you do a good job of the direct to consumer and you do a good job of your fit and sizing of your shoes and they're consistent across different shoes and you're very clear, you'd be amazed. People can pretty quickly figure out their size and what they want to order. I'm shocked at the lack of returns I get. You, you would That's think- That's a good thing. Shoes, oh yeah, it's, it actually baffles me and I'm so grateful. <laughs> Because I just can't believe how they nail it. I mean, they yeah. order the shoe and that's it. I mean, obviously I get people who want to exchange for different size. Yeah. But it's, yeah. it's really not a lot of that. I mean, I'm, I'm actually shocked by it. So I think the customers have gotten very savvy on how mm-hmm. to order online mm-hmm. and how to know what fits them and to order smartly. So it actually is kind of, I don't think I need to open the boutiques now. I think that the way you're doing it too also creates this sense of, I can't think of the word, but it creates a sense of your customers being special in a way because they're dealing directly with you and they know that they're not going to find these shoes everywhere. There's only this one place to go and that's it. Absolutely. And they know that when it sells out, that's it, you know, so they know that's limited stock. They feel a connection Mm -hmm. with me. I think because I am very accessible to people and I'm always amazed, you know, I am a smaller company and people always tell us that say that we have the best customer service, the best shipping. They can't believe how quickly they ship. And part of it is, you know, literally sometimes a smaller operation is just better because it's sort of like, I have a guy who does my shipping and Mm -hmm. we, you know, pretty much we're going to get it out the day you order it. Yeah. Unless you order it after like six o'clock. Right. Like up until like five o'clock, like we'll do multiple trips to UPS, you know? Mm-hmm. So we're very hands-on like that. And we answer customer service emails like 24-7, basically. Well, it and allows we- you that great customer relationship, customer owner relationship. Yeah. No, people are shocked by it. They're always like, oh, thank you for answering so quickly. I mean, just- <laughs> I love it. Yeah, they're very thankful. So but that's what keeps them coming back, though, because they know that the customer experience is going to be amazing. And that's what you provide. That's a huge part of an, being an entrepreneur. It is. And I think that's a great way you say it, because it's sort of like, and I always tell pe- young people this, like it's the brand has to be from point A to point Z. Uh-huh. Everything you do needs to reflect the brand, you know, how you communicate the packaging, the tissue, yeah. how you pack the shoes, how you ship the shoes. You know, we have really beautiful tape, like the tape on the outer box Uh is black tape, 
white Ruthie Davis, you know, the branding and the little touches, you know, during Valentine's month, we put little hearts in the box during this month, we put little, you know, we do like little touches. And I think that you've got to think about branding across the whole process. For sure. And this is a great segue. I love that you said that about you want people to feel that and to know that they are appreciated and that you put those little touches. And so aside from running your business, you also believe in giving back to the community and helping to mentor and speak at business and design schools. So how long have you been doing these types of speaking engagements? Pretty much from day one. I don't know. It's been part of my thing, you know, Mm -hmm. because I think it started with when I launched the brand and I would have interns. My first office was near FIT Parsons and I would have design interns and I would kind of part of the deal with when you have those interns is they get credit. You have to kind of mentor them and right. teach them, if you will. So I started with that and that just evolved to me speaking at places and speaking at schools and, you know, at my own schools that I went to, they all wanted me to come speak. I was, you know, they, they all were like, wow, that's interesting. You became a shoe designer. We want you to come speak, you know? Yeah. I mean, shoes are kind of interesting. So it evolved to, you know, the schools I went to and then, then other institutions. And now I'm on a number of committees, you know, a different, like at university of Delaware on the fashion council or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. I mean, on different boards. So it's really evolved organically is kind yeah. of part of what I do. So how important then do you feel as an entrepreneur? I mean, for you, I know it's important, but in general, do you think for entrepreneurs, how important do you think that work of giving back and mentoring in terms of feeling like a, almost a moral obligation or responsibility to the up and coming or younger generation entering into the entrepreneurship world or entrepreneurial world and your industry specifically, but in general, how important do you think that is in terms of our responsibilities as entrepreneurs to give back and help mentor others coming up? It's critically important. You know, I call it paying it forward and it's so gratifying. That's the thing. I mean, yes, it maybe sounds like I'm, you know, oh, I I mentor this person, that person and, and so on and so forth, which I actually do. And I do think it makes a difference, but I have to be honest with you. And I don't do it for this reason. I do it to to be a good person, to pay it forward. I get a lot out of it. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the great things is when you mentor or when you, you analyze other people's business and you help other people is it makes you have to articulate things. It makes you have to analyze, take stock, think of what you've done or haven't done that's worked. It's a great sort of a chance to reset your own situation. So it's, it's actually a win-win I do feel like, you know, that's why I always encourage people to do it because you actually will get a lot out of it. It will actually help your business as much as helping them. So I do think it's a, it's something that's really important. And for me, it's just always been a priority. I think part of the reason is I don't have children. So it's Mm kind of like, they're my children. Yeah. See it. And that's kind of, that's where I give my maternal instinct. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's something that I feel like, like a duty or obligation. I mean, yeah. I was raised, you know, my family, my parents were very invested and involved in our community growing up. And they both felt very strongly about that kind of a value system, you know, giving back, they were extremely involved in the community. So I've just grew up that way. And yeah. it's just, just what you do. I know. I just think that you cannot lose with community. And if you give back, like you said, you're paying it forward. You're reaching down that ladder to pull other people up. And there's always going to be someone up above you on that ladder pulling you up. So it's just, I don't know. I think it just is something that we should do as entrepreneurs, as good people, as good human beings. Why not give back? If you have community, you can't lose with that. Everybody wins. Everybody benefits from it. 100%. And it's just an important thing that people need to, to make a priority. And it's, I don't know, someone who doesn't do that, it's strange. Yeah, I think, I mean, of course, there's no way of implementing it, but I think it should be mandatory that if you're an entrepreneur, you have to help other people. You have to give back because you didn't do it by yourself. You didn't get there on your own. Nobody gets there on their own. Someone somewhere along the way has helped you in some way in your journey. So why wouldn't you give it back? Yeah. And why wouldn't you share the secrets? That's what yeah. I, I share the secrets. I say, look, this doesn't work. Trust me. I've done X, Y, Z. Don't even bother with this. Yeah. Here's the secret. Yeah. You know, why not share the secret with people? It's you know, not like you're competing with them. No. 
<laughs> See, I think that's part of the problem. That thing right there, what you said right there about sharing the knowledge, that fucking drives me nuts. People who hold that knowledge so close to the vest that they just, mm-hmm. they're, they're so fearful that if they share what they know with you, you're going to do better than them. And I worked with a guy when I was working for an audiovisual company. We set up and traveled with video walls. We did corporate shows, rock concerts, all sorts of stuff with these video walls. We would travel around the country and set them up. And we had one programmer that worked within the company. He's the only one who could program the walls. And he would not fucking share that knowledge. Yeah. He was so fearful for, oh my God, if I share it with Brad, he he may be he may learn it quicker and be better than me. And then I'm out of a job. It's like, no, that mentality has to go. I honestly, I wish there was a way. And I think there should be some way that we have, as an entrepreneur, you have to give back. Why not share the knowledge? Help people. You've been, as you said, when you go out and do these, these talks at these schools and whatnot, you benefit from it too. So share it, be, yeah. be kind, be generous. Well, I just think you have to not be, you know, people, I think what there comes from a place of insecurity, they don't want mm-hmm. to share with it, which I never really understand. And it, it comes back also to the whole subject of women empowering women. You know, I've never been that type of woman who competes with other women. I actually want the woman to be more successful, prettier, taller, better than me. Like, bring it on. Like, I love empowering other people. You know, I've been toward many people or given advice and shared stuff. And they've ended up being, you know, I guess, technically more successful than me. Yeah. And that's, I'm happy for it. I feel like, you know, hey, I was part of that journey. You know, like, good on them. You know, it, it doesn't have to be a negative on you. No, that's, you know what? That's it right there. You summed it up right there, Ruthie, is that you've mentored people and they've gone on to be more successful. That's a testament to who the fuck you are. Exactly. I could take pride in that. Yes. 100%. I think what you're doing is good because you're helping people share stories and their entrepreneurial journey. So you're doing a lot right here with what your your podcast. So well, thank you you very much, Ruthie. That that means a lot to me coming from you. I appreciate those kind words. So what drives, motivates and inspires you to keep going and keep pushing and excelling at all that you do, Ruthie? I'm kind of childlike in this way. I'm like, (laughs) I can't wait to get up in the morning and get at it. I just keep it simple. What drives me is I'm excited about, I'm very, I love newness. I like improvement. I like the new, you know, improving things, problem solving. It's exciting to me. So in other words, I'm, I'm good for this kind of business because I'm excited about the new collection, the new season, you know, what's going to be the next and I also just like, just in, in general, I like projects. I like improving and bettering, whether it's, you know, I'm always working on being more and more healthy. I'm always rearranging my apartment, you know, trying to make it cooler. You know, I get excited by, I don't know, creating newness, if you will. Yeah. So um, I think that that drives me. And then I just get, you know, excited. If I'm ever in kind of a, a, a funky period where like I'm not motivated or something, it can turn around in a day, you know, get a good mm-hmm. night's sleep, make a good video, you know, <laughs> on TikTok, a bunch of people like it, you know, you're back on your game, you know, it's, it's not rocket science. And I also don't take things too seriously. Like I just try to keep a balance in my life, you know? Yeah. Well, again, I think those are key factors about being an entrepreneur as well. We're going to have bad days. They're going to happen and you just got to embrace it, get over it. You, I mean, sure. It bothers you at the time, but, and it's okay to feel those feels, but don't live there. Tomorrow's a new day or whatever the case may be. Just pick yourself yeah. up and go at it. You're going to have a hard day. You're going to have hard days. Those are going to come. That's that's part of life. Well, you can't have the good days without the bad days. That's right. You know? That's right. Exactly. Well, yang. Yep. So Ruthie, what advice do you have for women looking to grow either their own business or maybe even within a company that they work for? What advice would you give them? God, there's so many things, you know, I wouldn't know. I mean, that's a general. Okay. How about the most, one of the most important pieces of of advice you could bestow onto them? Right. I mean, I just think that it's, it's, um, you know, you have to, to really like, first of all, you need to figure out what, what gets you excited. Mm -hmm. You know, what aspect of the business are you passionate about? 
So you've got to try different things until you kind of figure that out. And then you just need to be very focused and, and, you know, learn everything you can about whatever that aspect is and be an expert in it. You have to be not afraid of like devoting yourself, working really hard. I mean, there's no substitute in entrepreneurship of working hard. Yeah, for sure. You're not willing to push up your sleeves and really dedicate some serious time and energy. It's not possible. Yeah. So you, you have to work hard and just, you know, keep a balance. Like I said, I think to be entrepreneurial, you have to really keep that focus, keep that passion, work hard. But in order to do that, you need to be healthy. You need mm-hmm. to be balanced mentally. You need to, you know, I, I do think it's almost like being an Olympic athlete. You yeah. know, a lot of times, like in different periods too, when I was, when I was in a lot of retailers and was going overseas a lot more and this and that, I used to treat myself like an Olympic athlete in training, you mm-hmm. know, just needing to get proper sleep, proper nutrition, proper workout, because you can't operate without that. But you know what I've found too, since I've made this journey into entrepreneurship is this fucking hustle mentality, you always got to be hustling. And I think it's complete bullshit. I think it's absolute bullshit. Yes, you've got to work hard, but there's a difference between working hard and hustling. I see hustling as you're just trying to make yourself look busy, keep up appearances. No, that's a great discussion point and and good for you. Yes. And I would stand corrected on that. I do think that there's a lot of people running around, always busy. I mean, you know, I even have some people I mentor that are like, you know, smaller brands in mind, this and that, but they're too busy to even, you know, w- when we can have a Zoom, you know, mm. it's me working around their schedule. I should be the busier one. They're just busy all the time, you know, yeah. doing this, doing that, doing this. And a lot of it's just unnecessary busy. Yeah. So, yes, I agree. And that comes back to the conversation about sort of calming down and being laser focused mm-hmm. and, you know, prioritizing what you really need to be. So the working hard is, it's part of working is working hard at being focused. Okay. For sure. It's, for sure. it's, it's and, almost and, like it's cool to be hustling. Like that's the cool thing or the in thing to do is always be hustling. And I have to disagree. Yes. Yeah. Like I said, you and, and you said you have to fucking work hard. Honestly, being an entrepreneur, having your own business is like having three or four full-time jobs. It really is. But you have to be smart about it because if you're not taking care of you, your business is going to fucking tank. That's it. Right. There's nothing. If you've got nothing left in your tank, how can you give to your business? How can you give to the people around you? How can you give to your customers? How can you give to your friends, your family, all of that stuff? And I think it comes back to your first question again, prioritizing the organization. And and this is a major thing that I talk to people about is, you know, what are your goals? Like, because I I do think that a lot of these, when I say young designers, by the way, they don't Mm -hmm. need to be like age wise young. It just means the brand is young. New in the industry. Yeah. Right. right. So they could be someone older that started Mm -hmm. a brand. You know, a lot of times they they're off track. They don't understand where to spend their time and energy and what's Mm -hmm. less important. And I do think in the world we live in with all the social media stuff and marketing people, they get so hung up on the image of what they're doing versus what they're doing. So they think if the image of what they're doing is successful, then they're successful, even Mm -hmm. if they're not selling a shoe, you know, so it really comes back to, you know, at the end of the day, you're making products that need to sell, you know, and I do feel like the eye gets off the ball with these fashion brands where it becomes all about the celebrity wearing your product or you're in social media or influencers or this or that, you know, at the end of the day, are you selling the products? There you go. Yeah, that's it right there. And that's what they should be spending more time and energy and hard work on and less on looking like they're successful. (laughs) There you go. Again, it goes back to the appearance of hustling, the appearance of looking busy. Right. Right? (laughs) Ruthie, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? Well, I think, you know, I know my my husband would probably answer that better. He always (laughs) says he's fascinated by the way that I get like these ideas and then mm-hmm. I'm ruthless about executing them. Okay. So like, it's not just that I have the idea. It's that I can execute the idea. Yeah. A lot of times the idea people aren't the good executors yep. and the good executors don't have the ideas. So very I think true. the fact that I have both and that I'm very, yeah, I'm focused on getting to the finish mm-hmm. line. It's not just, Oh, isn't this a great idea? It's like, I want to show you the idea yeah, and make it successful. So probably that's my superpower. So speaking of success, how do you define the word success? What does that word mean to you? 
Well, it's changed over the years, my mm-hmm. definition of success. You know, when I started out, I probably wanted to be the next Christian Louboutin, you know, <laughs> yeah. the next whatever cool shoe designer. And now that's really not my definition of success. Right now, my definition of success is to be running a profitable, sustainable business. It doesn't matter what size. You could be profitable at any size. Okay? Yeah. And to feel good about what I do, to enjoy my day, to be excited Mm -hmm. to get up every day, to like actually like the process, the journey, like what Mm -hmm. I'm doing, you know, right now, am I going to go, you know, what literally like my day and to be excited about the future and to feel like, you know, that there's a opportunities and growth in the future. I think if you have all of that, then, then that's successful. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? I think many people would probably answer what I'll answer. And it's just a question of getting older and, and just living life. It's just, you know, the longer you live, the more you become confident to not worry about what other people think and to kind of do what you think is right. You get more and more empowered. And I think, and part of getting more empowered isn't like, oh, wow, I'm so good now. I don't need to listen to anyone. It's actually the opposite. It's like the more you experience life, you realize the less you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. You re- you're actually humbled. Yeah. And you actually realize, like, you know what? I'm trying the best I can. And I know I'm a good, honest person working hard. And I like myself. And so okay. I'm going with it. You know, it's more like you don't worry because you know you're doing the right thing. You know you're who you are and you respect yourself. Yeah. And so you're not going to get worried if someone, is, you know, making you feel like you're not doing the right thing or what they think, or you're not as good as that. So it's really freeing yourself to just mm-hmm. be okay with who you are and yeah. what you're doing and to, you know, be proud of yourself, basically. So speaking of empowered, what does the word empowerment mean to you? Just to, to feel good about your own strength, you know, to crescendo who you are. It's like saying, I am me, hear me roar. You yeah, know? Like, yeah. Like, and it's just, embracing your unique self that it's not about being number one good winning awards and all that it's just about you know your interesting unique combination of traits and what you bring to the table and feeling good about it and that's empowerment what's your personal motto ruthie a lot of mottos. Well, I've told you I like less is more. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, little sayings that I like. I like less is more. Mm-hmm. I like love begets love. I'm a big believer in that. You know, I really think, I know this sounds super corny, but it's, I just like, my favorite word is probably the word nice. Yeah. My favorite trait in people is nice people. Mm-hmm. I like nice and respectful. I like, you know, my motto is to be kind and nice and respectful of everybody and just, you know, be a good person basically and be kind to others and respect others and do you. And, you know, that's the best way. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions Uh just be two, three, four word answer type thing. Okay. Okay. What was your dream job as a child? I had two, an Olympic skier and Uh an architect. Okay. What would your family and friends list as a couple of your best characteristics? Loyal, determined, high energy, resourceful. <laughs> okay. Did you say best and worst or just best? No, just best. Just best. Okay. okay. I was ready to do some first. Okay. No, just best, Ruthie. We, want, okay. we only want to talk about the good things. Yeah. Optimistic. <laughs> they would say optimistic. How would you describe yourself in one word? Aerodynamic. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> what is the first thing you notice about a person? Ooh, that's a good one. I'm going to have to say their smile okay. or lack of smile if they don't <laughs> smile. <laughs> okay. If you could teach the world one thing, Ruthie, what would it be? Open-mindedness. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Ooh, what do I want that I can't buy with money? Uh-huh. I, that's an interesting one. I don't even know. I mean, I guess the answer is that's like world peace, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, whatever. I mean, I would answer time because time is the most valuable commodity right. on earth. Right. And once it's gone, you can't get it back. Right. Mine would probably be like more time skiing. You know, skiing, I was a big skier. I mm-hmm. love skiing. It doesn't really fit into my lifestyle anymore. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just something that, it, so I just have to like, 
remember what it was like when I skied all the time. But yeah, <laughs> okay. I more time skiing. If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change? Less division. There's a hell of a lot of divisiveness, that's for sure. What Less is division. one of your favorite entrepreneurial books? Oh, I would have to say my favorite entrepreneurial book is The Power of Broke by Damon John. He's a friend. I love oh, okay. that book. I, yeah. Entrepreneur life is? Entrepreneur life is living in the moment. And every day is an exciting opportunity for newness and creativity. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Okay. <laughs> what would you say, Ruthie, are the top three skills needed to be a successful entrepreneur? You know, I'm going to come back to always, in, and again, it just needs to be focused that like work ethic is, uh-huh. needs to be more creativity and, you know, creativity in a problem solving way and just stick to itiveness. What would you say is the most entrepreneurial thing about you? Probably that ability to just to, to read the market, to know what people want. What is one thing you wish you had known now, that you know now when you started your entrepreneurial journey? Just that no, it's kind of, again, I, I sound repetitive, but it's just another way of saying what I said before, which is, you know, nobody's really keeping score. Yeah. You know, no one's really just do you be on your own timeline. You don't have to achieve this by this date, this by this date. No one really cares at the end of the day. They're focused on their own lives and do what's right for you. You know, don't feel you have to show you've done this or that. I mean, even just things like people feel this need, like they're not successful if they don't have, you know, the office with, you know, the employees and this, that, no, have a home office. Like nobody really cares. Do what you have to do to be happy and to be Mm -hmm. successful according to your definition. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Well, I'm in the fashion business, so I have to go with a fashion type person. I'm not Uh going to go. So I'm going to have to go with Kate Moss. I've always been a big Kate Moss fan. Just the, you know, I just think she's like the coolest model. I love her look. And I do think she's actually a really interesting person. I'd love to pick her brain of what it was like being Kate Moss. Yeah. If you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I didn't ask you? Well, I don't want to step into your shoes because I'm not into men's shoes. (laughs) (laughs) Metaphorically speaking. I'm not into like brown, large brown loafers. Okay. So I won't be stepping into your shoes just to make that clear. Let's see. What would I have asked? Probably, you know what? At the end of the day, sometimes we forget that maybe I would have asked like, are you happy? Okay. Are you happy in your life and career and all of that stuff? And I would answer, (laughs) (laughs) I would answer, yes, I am happy because I don't have an inflated sense of like, you know, my life has to be blah, 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 to be happy. You know, Mm. I've lowered the bar in the sense of, you know, if my day, if I do a couple things like I did today, I will have done a nice podcast Mm -hmm. I'll go for a nice walk outside. I'll do a couple calls and, you know, deal with a couple order, you know, whatever the case uh, that I get accomplished today. And, you know, I'll be happy with that. Like Mm -hmm. I don't set goals that are unreachable. You know, to me, I'm a kind of a simple person in that regard. I just like to feel healthy, feel inspired. So yeah, I am happy. Okay. Very thankful that I am happy actually. Excellent. I'm not happy every day, but well, you can't be happy 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's impossible. That's no. an impossible expectation. No. And again, I'm as not- you said, you you have to have the sadness or the darkness to appreciate the light or the happiness, right? Yeah. And I think when you're unhappy, you just have to, you know what I do when I'm for whatever reason unhappy, I just get a good night's sleep. There I mean, that go. makes a world of difference when you you look at the problem the next morning, you know? Yeah, fresh eyes. Yep. Ruthie, if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Don't worry about what others think of you. That's a big one. And that's a tough one when you're young to wrap your head around it. Right. Yeah. For sure. Lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What would you say? I like the last speech ever, like, yeah, like what words of wisdom about life or about your journey would you impart onto the world? 
Well, first of all, I have to be honest, I am humble in the sense that I don't think I'm in a position to be giving a speech to the world. So let's or, just- Well, let's just say your world, your corner of the world. Right, my corner of the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't, I, I feel like my last 30 seconds would be just don't sweat the small stuff, enjoy your day, feel good about yourself, be nice, you know, keep it simple, less is more, love begets love, all the messages I've been saying, and, you know, you'll feel good about yourself if you, if you, you know, help other people, like we talked about mentoring and stuff, and, you know, just, I don't know, be a nice person, (laughs) (laughs) it goes a long way, you know, Yeah, it goes a long way, and just keep it simple, and, you know, it's not rocket science, my speech would be pretty straightforward stuff. I love it. Ruthie, thank you so very much for taking the time to be here today and share a bit about your story and your journey. I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It's been so incredible. You are a truly down-to-earth, beautiful, inspirational human being, woman, entrepreneur, all of it. I've absolutely loved every minute of our conversation, and I so appreciate you being here and taking the time. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you, and I'm honored to have you as a member of the Empowerography community now. So thank you. I appreciate you. Well, back at you. And I'm honored you reached out to me. And this was so much fun. And, you know, your questions and everything so well thought out, so appropriate, and you really get it. And I think what you're doing for women is fantastic. I know you have daughters and sisters and wives and what have you. So I don't know. I hope you have all those things. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't have any sisters and I don't have wives. I have one wife. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I know what you meant. I'm just kidding. You have important females in your life and what you're doing for women is great. And I think that the more that we can all communicate and empower each other, you know, it's a critical thing. So for sure, anything I can do, anyone who wants to reach out to me, feel free because I'm here for you. Thank you so much for that, Ruthie. That's a wonderful offer and very appreciative. Once again, thank you so much. I'm so appreciative for all that you're doing and and you being here. So once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Ruthie Davis. She is the owner and founder of Ruthie Davis. Thank you so much. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day, Ruthie. You too. This was fun. Take care. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.